art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We are going to finish up. Uh, well, well, it's not here. Uh, we're preaching from the Middle East today. I forgot. But um, this present uh, time, we're going to finish up this series um, today and December 31st. Um, it's a message that, or, or the two messages are ones that seem so basic, but um, I, I'm not sure that I've heard either of them preached on, and I'm including myself. I'm, I'm not sure that there's more than six or eight messages that I've heard on heaven and hell that I thought really addressed the issue the way I wanted to see it addressed. Um, we, we have a tendency to um, kind of just tack heaven and hell on at the end. Heaven is a big party and everything's going to be fine. Hell is something that the world has already done away with the idea of hell. But the church is even at the point, not our church, but the church world is at the point of just mitigating and minimalizing the idea of hell. But God has something that ties together, it ties together uh, this unfolding drama of redemption that we call Christianity and His revelation to Israel. There are two things that are central uh, with the idea of making everything right. And there are only two things that can bring justice. There are only two things that can bring a settlement of sin. One is the blood of Jesus and the other is the fire of judgment. Nothing else can make it right. Oh, there are components of mercy and grace. All of that's true. But basically it's the blood of Jesus and fire. And that's why we need to understand that as we come to an end on these uh, this series of this present time, we need to have a good, hard look at what the Bible says about heaven and what the Bible says about hell. Now, today we're going to talk about heaven. Next Sunday, Pastor Corey is bringing the Christmas message for us, and it's going to be just a beautiful time that'll set us in the right frame of mind as we celebrate that week of Christmas. The next Christmas, uh, the next Sunday, rather. Um, is Christmas Eve, and I'm doing something, um, just kind of a celebration for Christmas Eve. We'll be receiving communion together. It'll be a special day. And then the 31st, I want to preach the final message, number 37 of this present time. Today is what will heaven be like. I want to preach that day on what will hell be like. You say, oh, pastor, that, that's a tough way to end the year. Yeah, but it's a good way to end the year and a good way to start the new year. You say, well, I, and I was telling Justin the other day, I, I've just been blubbering over the message for over a week now. And uh, I, I, I told him, I just don't know if I can wait till the 31st. The Lord has put something on my heart, but I, I feel like I have to. I feel like the Lord's telling me to wait till the 31st. I think there's two reasons. 
I think symbolically, we want to wrap this up, ending this year and beginning the new year as we go forward. Secondly, I don't want to preach this on Christmas Eve because I would be run out of town to use Christmas Eve Sunday to preach about what will hell be like. So, uh, no, that's, I'm teasing. Well, it might happen, but I meant that's not why I've made that decision. I just feel that God has, has providentially put our, our close of this series together. And today I want to talk to you about what heaven will be like. Um, I want to do it a little different. I, I know I preached about heaven. I've done a series about heaven. Uh, I know I preached about hell but what I want to do um, on these two Sundays is give you an understanding that's devoid of speculation. Have you ever gone to a funeral where somebody says, well, so-and-so was a good old boy and he's a conservative and he liked a little drink every now and then. So I imagine he's in heaven right now having a drink at the bar with Ronald Reagan. Uh, that's not a picture of heaven. That's not a picture of heaven. I mean, do I believe Ronald Reagan's in heaven? Well, I, I, have, I have reasons to. He gave a testimony that he understood what it meant to be born again. He understood he, he was. Um, the fellow that was having his funeral that day, as far as I know, he's in heaven. I, I, don't, I didn't have problems with him and Ronald Reagan being in heaven. Uh, I have trouble with us trivializing heaven. You know, we... Uh, we, 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 we we view heaven almost as though people that have gone before us gather together on Saturday afternoon to cheer on their college football team that's left behind. Can, can, can we do that? I don't know. I just can't imagine that heaven, the presence of Jesus, the glory of glory, that we care who wins the college championship. You know, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. And I'm sure I'll get folks telling me I'm wrong. But uh, um, I, I want to present what we know from Scripture heaven is like. We're going to talk about things that are not there because of Scripture. We're going to talk about things that are true of heaven because of Scripture. And you're going to find that the list of things that aren't in heaven is much longer than the list of things that are in heaven. And the reason for that is because all of these things are trivial. They're not trivial to us right now. They're painful. But the glory, I keep pointing to the verse up there that's not there, but the glory that will be revealed in us overshadows everything negative in our lives. The, tr the trouble of this present world, Paul said, is not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed within us. So when we talk about what's in heaven, it'll be fewer things. But you've got to understand those things, those things are massive. They're, they're beyond our understanding. Paul said to the Corinthians, heaven, uh, uh, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it even entered into the heart of man. Leaving man at his best, he cannot even begin to conceive what heaven is like. But God has begun to reveal those things to us by his spirit. The problem is he's only revealed a little bit. He's only revealed a little bit, but oh, what he has revealed. Oh, the preciousness of what he has revealed. Uh, and it's that same way with hell. I want to say this, and I'll remind you of this on the 31st. Whether we're talking about heaven or hell, Jesus gave us pictures to help us understand heaven and hell. 
But I want to tell you, whether you're talking about heaven or hell, the reality is far, far, far greater. I think I can even use the word infinitely greater. The reality is infinitely greater than the picture. Infinitely greater than the picture. So I want to come away from these two Sundays helping us understand this is what we know about heaven. And this is what we know about hell. Um, I, I, I know that God can take people to heaven and we have wonderful stories of people that went to heaven. We have some frightening stories of people that went to hell. I, I'm not telling you to throw those out the window. I, 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 God can do that. He can do anything, you know. Um, God can communicate his truth any way he wants to. And I'm not, I'm not downplaying those things. I'm just saying we don't want to fall into the trap of making our theology based on somebody's dream or somebody's vision. Uh, I, I am constantly coming across things where I went to heaven and I saw this kept people from coming to heaven. Or I went to hell and this is what brought people to hell. And loved ones, I want to tell you, I, I know some of those are by people way above my pay grade. But we are being flooded with people that are giving all kinds of reasons to go to heaven and all kinds of reasons to go to hell that aren't biblical ones. You say, well, I, you know, one, one fellow said, my, my wife, we've been pastors for 50 years and the Lord showed me my wife was going to hell because of her unforgiveness towards somebody. And um, another one said, my, my husband was going to hell because of, of his uh, whatever it was. I don't even remember what it was now. But every one of those stories, I don't believe, I don't believe that they are presented by the Spirit of God because they present a theology that says you're saved by your works. You know, I will never go to heaven because I've mastered my life. I'll go to heaven because Jesus mastered his life. I, I, I won't go to heaven because I finally got it right. I'll go to heaven because Jesus got it right the first time. So, you know, you can read those things, decide what you think. I personally am wondering if that pastor's wife didn't slap him upside the head after church that day. I don't know. But, um, you know, I saw my wife went to hell because of, even if it's true, it's not smart. But uh, it's another story for another time. I want us to come away saying we have talked about how to live in this present time. And as we get closer to that time, it ought to become clearer. As heaven and hell grow nearer, it needs to become clearer. A precious woman of God passed away in Alabama a few days ago. And um, someone in our church, I won't mention names because I didn't get permission to share this, but they, they knew this person that died and their parents were friends with them. Um, going all the way back, I think, to college days. And this person in our church says, when I told my parents that so-and-so had died, uh, I may be stating it poorly, but they said they were so excited and they celebrated. And obviously not because someone died. That's always sad. But I want to tell you, the older we get, I think the generation ahead of me is beginning to learn it pretty well. There's a lot of things worse than going to heaven. And, and they were celebrating, oh, they were mourning the loss, but they were celebrating that this lady had gone from this to this.
And we need to do that. We need to have the same repulsion about hell. Now, this is an introduction for both messages. But um, um, help me, my name, uh, Ravenhill, Leonard Ravenhill, tells the story of a man that was sentenced to be hanged in England in the late 1800s because of his crimes. He said a chaplain came in and uh, wanted to give him kind of last rites, you know, and he read to him scriptures about heaven and scriptures about hell. And as he read about hell, the prisoner that was going to be dead in, a, in a, less than an hour, he asked the chaplain, he said, do you believe this scripture? And the chaplain said, yes, this is God's holy infallible word. I, I believe it. He said, I don't believe it. He said, why not? Why don't you believe the word? He said, oh, it's not that I don't believe the word. I just don't believe you believe it. Because I've never heard this before. But if I heard what you just read, if there's a place as horrible and awful as hell, I, if I could stop one person from going to that place, I would crawl from the south of England all the way to the north of England on my hands and knees over broken glass and sharp stones if I could just get one person to not go to that place. And as far as we know, that man didn't pray, didn't, of course, you never know what he did inside uh, in his heart. But we, we don't believe anybody that we know goes to hell. We believe that other people go to hell. We, we don't know how to see hell in its reality the way Jesus did. We need to learn that Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. So that's why we need to talk about heaven and hell in these last two sermons um, of, of the series. And as we enter new, the new year, we need to think in terms of, I'll never, I'll never be the same again. I'll never see the future again the same way as I did. I'm asking for Holy Spirit change. Now, what I have begged God to help me do today and on the 31st is to say things well, to say them clearly, to, to not sound trite or, um, or I, I'm asking him to help me show his heart. Uh, I tell you, you need to stay away from pastors or churches even if it's here, you need to stay away from anybody that looks like they're excited about the possibility of people going to hell. We, if a man, if it's not while he's preaching, he need, better be sure he cried himself out before he preaches. Tears have to be a part. No man can preach hell. No woman can teach about hell without tears and brokenness. And uh, so let's, we want to be sure we say it right. I'm reminded of a pastor that uh, I heard about years ago. My, I, I didn't hear this, but my pastor friend did. He said that his friend went to a conference and um, uh, it was well attended, but it was a heavy schedule. You know, sometimes you go to conferences and sometimes you'll have six sermons a day and it's just a long, a long thing. And uh, he said he noticed one night that a man was preaching and he said, I'm a preacher. I looked out. He said, I knew he had lost the congregation. They weren't paying attention. They were tired. It's not that they were disrespectful. They were just worn out. That's a pretty heavy schedule to keep. 
And he said, this man who was an old veteran preacher realized he needed to do something to get the attention of the crowd. So he reached deep into his toolbox and he said, folks, I can't go on with this message. He said, I've got to tell you the truth about something in my life. And everybody now is perked up. He said, I've been married to this woman for 40 something years. He said, but I have to confess today. I just can't go on without saying this. Some of the happiest moments of my life have been spent in the arms of another man's wife. Well, everybody is. Now they're all listening. And he realizes they're all shocked and they're leaning forward. He realizes he's got them back. And then he drops the rest of it. He said, I'm talking about my mother. You know, I've, I've told you that. Well, that was a witty little thing to do. And it worked. And the man said, I'm going to use that next time I lose the attention of my congregation. Sure enough, it was just a few weeks later. But this is the point I'm trying to make is you need to be sure that you're saying what you're trying to say well. And he realized it was a Sunday morning. It was, if I'm remembering correctly, it was time of year like this. And people were exhausted from Christmas musicals and everything. And he was trying to preach and, you know, they were just fading out. And he said, I'm going to use that story. And he said, I want y'all to know he, went, he made it even more dramatic than the other preacher did. He said, my wife and I have been married all these years. And, and I, I just, I have to tell you this because I, I'm your pastor. You need to know this about me. The happiest years of my life were spent in the arms of another man's wife. And sure enough, there, everybody's paying attention. But he couldn't remember the rest of it. And, and he thought, well, I'll say it again, and it'll come to me. He said, I, and they said his wife just, she knew what was coming. He said, I said, the happiest moments of my life were spent in the arms of another man's wife. And the people are more wide-eyed, and his wife is starting to cry. And he, he said, he looked to heaven and said, oh, my God, I forgot her name. <laughs> And he just forgot what he, you know, the, forgot the punchline. So he was, he was headed for a major win, but uh, not being prepared well, he blew it. It took him a couple of weeks, I heard, to really get word around and everybody get back on board. <coughs> so I want to say it well. I, if, I, if I have spoken anything with clarity this year, I want it to be these last two messages about heaven and about hell. Um, when we talked about the transition back um, a year ago, I, I realized that I had to say, that's coming up, I realized I had to say that well. I can't leave room for misunderstanding. And I don't want to leave any room for misunderstanding about heaven or about hell. Now, what will heaven be like? The way we're going to approach this is not stories, not theological foundations that go back to eternity past. I want us to take some things that we know the scripture says about heaven, and they're in three groups. Uh, number one, we want to talk about um, uh, what will not be in heaven. Number two, we want to talk about what we know will be in heaven. <laughs> and then I want to talk to you about whether or not everybody that thinks they're going to heaven is going. The text that I'd like to read 
is in Revelation 21 and 22. Um, there are other passages that have to be brought to the table, at least by way of remembrance. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. There, there's so much said about heaven, but when heaven becomes a reality, it's Revelation 21 and 22, uh, a reality to all of God's people. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and he himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. When I was a young man, I was at a funeral that was just an absolute tragedy. It was somebody that died way before their time, or at least that's what we all felt. It was devastating. The mother was broken. The father uh, was devastated. It, it was just, there was no word of comfort that you could say. I mean, it's just the worst kind of thing almost that could happen. And I, I wasn't old enough really to understand the dynamics of grief. And my mother was sitting there and she, she was praying. I, and I could tell my mother sensed something, but didn't know what to do. It was just a house of utter despair. <laughs> the right verses were being read, the right words were being said, but it was just getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And then during a funeral, I don't know that I've ever heard, maybe I've heard one other story of, of a message in tongues coming forth in uh, a funeral. And uh, one of the dear old saints in our church gave a message in tongues. And I, I remembered thinking, do you do this in funerals? It's, it's mostly our church was small, so it happened in church a lot or in a church like ours, it's usually in smaller settings, smaller group meetings, not because we're ashamed of tongues or don't want tongues. It's just the dynamics of a message in tongues is very difficult with this many people and difficulty in hearing. Um, and, and the Lord has just moved other ways. We have those things, but they're usually in smaller groups, but a funeral. And, and uh, I thought, I, you know, Lord, help me learn because I knew I was going into ministry Never seen anything like that. Then a person with the interpretation of the message stood and began to speak. Tears began to come down her eyes. And this is what she said. She said, I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is now with men and he shall dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them 
And he who sat on the throne said, Behold. That word behold is powerful. It's in there twice. She didn't say that. I'm saying that. He that sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write these words, for they are faithful and true. It is done. It is done. It is done. I don't know how many people understood that she was basically quoting Revelation 21. I knew it was in Revelation somewhere. <laughs> and I looked it up later. But the amazing thing is not that there would just be a message in tongues that echoed verses of Scripture. The amazing thing, and I talked to my mom about this. My mom was praying for the, for the hand of despair to be lifted. And, and um, my mom was a worship leader at the church, and she knew something wasn't settled. And when that happened, all of the despair began to lift. And as the hopelessness lifted, rejoicing came down. As the pain lifted, nothing wrong with, with grief, nothing wrong with pain, but it is not our driving force. That's why Paul said we don't grieve for those that have died as those who have no hope. And I saw in that service that the presence of the Holy Spirit and the presence of this promise began to shift and change the atmosphere. That's why Paul said that I do not want you to be ignorant concerning those that have fallen asleep in the Lord. He said, they're not gone. We haven't lost them. He said, because the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. And those that have gone by way of the grave will be raised again. And those that are alive and remain will be changed in a moment, the twinkling of an eye. And death will put on life. And mortality shall put on immortality. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then he he had the audacity to end probably a funeral service with these words. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Loved ones, one of the big things that God is wanting us to, to do is to understand. You know, I said he's trying to get us to the point where we say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I believe he's also getting us to the point where this family that I told you had their response to the death of a loved one. Our response is we find comfort in, in the death of the saints. That's why the scripture says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. That doesn't mean God has some weird thrill when a righteous man or woman dies. No, it's precious in the sight of the Lord because he understands that this is the final hand that is being played against sin and damnation and destruction and brokenness. <laughs> now we're at the end of the road on the series and we have a tendency, and rightly so, the Lord told Daniel, the angel told Daniel, to seal up the words of a prophecy. He says, it's not time for this to be shared yet because it's for your people and it's going to be a long time down the road. 
I read the book of Revelation and I realize that there was something that was revealed to John and the angel said, don't write this down. This is not going to be helpful to anyone right now. It will be revealed later, but right now don't write this down. I, I understand there's a time uh, to hold things, but in Revelation 22, when heaven is coming down, the messenger said, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. He says, we're getting closer. Loved ones, Revelation says we're getting closer and closer. Revelation is about consummation. Revelation is about everything being set right. <laughs> and then the words come that seem strange and seem problematic to us. Verse 11, let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. Those words are mystical. They're strange because it sounds like God says, well, just do what you're going to do. And that's not what's going on here. God is not predaining or preordaining or predestining some to do evil and some to do good. <laughs> I don't believe that's what this is about at all. I believe that as we get closer to the fulfillment, as we get closer to heaven, as we get closer to the reality of hell, God says it's time now for a decision to be made. There are wheat and there are tares. There are sheep and there are goats. There are the righteous, the ungodly. And he says like Elijah did uh, you know, hundreds of, of uh, years earlier, he said, how long will you halt between two opinions? If the Lord, if Baal be God, serve Baal. Make your mind up. But if the Lord is God, serve him. There comes a time in every great move of God where the long-suffering mercy of the Lord that has been given over and over and over and over is suddenly beginning to be pulled back. It's not just suddenly removed. Thank God in His mercy, it's not just suddenly removed usually, but you'll find that it follows a make up your mind. Make up your mind. Make up your mind. Listen to the correction. The scripture says, he that hardens his heart and stiffens his neck. This sounds like the hell sermon, doesn't it? This is the good one. <laughs> Will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. It's what we don't usually see in scripture is God just lifting his hand off of a nation or off of a people or off of a life. But what we see is God saying, you can't be both. If you're going to be vile, your heart's going to be settled on evil. If you're going to serve me, your heart will be settled on righteous and I'm able to keep you. Jude said, I'm able to prevent you from falling. But if you go your own way, you're going to be wicked and there's a price to pay. When heaven appears, the angel or the messenger leaves with John this. Tell people they have a choice of being vile or they have a choice of being righteous. And now is the time they need to understand that the wheat and the tares are about to be separated. <laughs> a great division is coming. It's appointed unto man once to die. After this, the judgment. Now I want you to know this, that the only things we can know about heaven or hell is by divine revelation. 
And there's a very limited amount that has been revealed. But as I said, as the destination draws nearer, uh, it needs to become clearer. Um, oh, I'll, I'll try to tell you about the, the road to Memphis later. I don't think I'm going to have time to deal with it today. If I do, I'll come back to it. Um, now, I want to say thanks. I don't think I did this. Did I? I didn't do this this service. Thanks to R.T. Kendall, Jack Hayford, and Dr. Raymond LeVang. Um, these, these three guys, I've talked to all three of them about, help me wrap my head around heaven and around hell. This is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm feeling. Give me your perspective on this. And um, uh, they, I, I talked to all three of them personally in the past. And I heard R.T. preach a sermon about heaven just the other day, and it, was, it reminded me of our conversation. I said, I want the message about heaven and hell to be more than a threat. I, I want people to understand that peace with God is more than a cessation of hostilities. It is a blessed life. So that's th these three guys in varying degrees help me say, well, we need to understand what's not in heaven, what is in heaven, and how to get to heaven. And um, so the, from this point on, everything I say will be, uh, it's like a mutt that you get at the pound. It's just a mix of all kinds of, uh, this, is, this is a uh, Ken sermon, okay? What are the things that will be in heaven? And we're just going to work through this very quickly. There's nine things, nine things that won't be in heaven. Um, number one, we know there will be no tears. Now we can have tears of joy. We can have tears because of such deep love. There are good tears, but the, the context of no tears in heaven is the bad kind of tears. There, there, there's, no, there's no more sorrow. There's no more weeping over the conditions that bring us to tears. There'll be no more tears. There will be no more trials testing or temptation. Those three things are interconnected. <laughs> and I'm going to preach about that, I think, in January. But trials and testing and temptation are so interconnected that sometimes the Bible uses the same words to describe them. Not every time. And there's a differentiation. Uh, temptation, God cannot do. He, he, he will never do that because the word that's most often translated tempt or temptation comes from the, the Greek word, the root word perazzo, which means to, to pierce or to try to find a weakness or a flaw. If you see two boxers get into the ring the first round, you usually don't see a lot of haymakers thrown or crazy activity. You might see a flurry of punches, but basically they're just kind of getting the feel for each other in that first round, making a decision on how they're going to try to bring Bring their opponent down. That's the word for tempt. God says, I'll never tempt you. I'll never search you out to try to find a way to bring you down. He already knows that. The devil doesn't. Does it help you understand for you to understand that the devil doesn't know all about all your weaknesses? <laughs> he doesn't know everything that God knows. God knows what's in us, the good, the bad, and the ugly. The wonderful thing is that he's chosen you already, knowing the worst about you, you know. Um, but the enemy is always poking and prodding, trying to find a way to bring us down. That's temptation. Testing 
comes from the word dokimazo, and it means to put to the test with full expectation of success. A teacher that's a good teacher. Now, we all know that we had some teachers that were Nazis, that uh, they, they took great joy in failing students they didn't like. I know that. <coughs> but a good teacher, a teacher that understands teaching, a teacher that understands teaching has joy when a student does do good on the grades because it says, I've taught well, they've learned well, and they can move on to the next lessons. God will not tempt you, but God will test you. In fact, if I can give you just a little advanced tidbit from the sermon that's coming up maybe next month, um, I believe, and I think I can prove it from Scripture, that the longer we walk with Jesus, we'll find that we are tempted less and less, but tested more and more. Because the enemy, see, that's what Jesus said. Satan comes, he finds nothing in me. We're drawn away of our own lust and enticed. That's where temptation comes from. And I want to tell you, the more we grow like Jesus, there's less and less for the enemy to tack onto. So I believe that it's normal for us to be tempted less and less. Don't get arrogant. You can always be tempted though. <laughs> but we'll be tested more and more. Now you say, well, what about trials? Trials, you can't usually tell if they're from the Lord or the devil. Uh, there are times when trials come, I don't know if I need to rebuke the devil or thank the Lord. You know, I, I, trials can come from heaven or hell. But when we get to heaven, there will be no need for trials, no need for testing, and no possibility of temptation. Uh, Augustine, St. Augustine put it this way. He said, man was created able to sin. Adam and Eve were created able to sin. After their fall, he was born not able to not sin. Every one of us was born not able to not sin. We're broken. Then he went on to say, when he is born again, he is now able to not sin, even though we usually do. He's, he's now able to not sin, but in heaven, he will not be able to sin. That's one of the things I love about heaven is we won't be able to sin. A, a guy in another church told me one time, he said, Pastor, I'm, I'm worried about heaven. And I said, well, brother, I said, listen, we, we can know that we're going to heaven. Do I need to pray with you now? Do I, are you having doubts about your salvation? He said, no, I'm not having any doubts about my salvation. He looked at somebody down the hall. He said, he's one I'm worried about. And I said, oh, what, what, what do you mean? He said, look, Adam and Eve in a perfect environment fell. I tell you what I'm worried about. I'm worried about us all getting to heaven and some idiot like him sins and then we got to go through this whole thing again. I said, well, brother, let me, let me tell you two things are going to happen. Number one, John tells us in his letter, he said, beloved, now we are the children of God. You guys with me? Okay. Now we are the children of God. But then he says something that sounds contradictory. Now we are the children of God, but it does not yet appear what we shall be. He said, we are fully the children of God. We have passed from death into life. He said, but we're, it's not fully manifested what that means. We're not yet like we're going to be. He says, but understand this. 
I, I am a child of God. I am on my way to heaven. I have eternal life. I have it now. John said, I've already passed from death into life. You may be listening at home saying, I don't know if you knew about me, you wouldn't say that. If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord, I'm not minimizing any sin or imperfection that's in your life any more than I would minimize sin or imperfection in my own life. But I want to tell you, you've already passed from death to life. Right now, you're already a child of God. The problem is none of us look like we're going to look. None of us look like we're going to look. But he said something's going to happen. When he comes, we shall be like him. When Jesus comes, we will suddenly go from this weakened state to perfection. Those of us who are alive, those of us who have gone by way of the grave will be resurrected. And he said, we shall be like him. Why? Because we will see him just as he is. I don't care if you've seen a vision of Jesus. You haven't seen him as he is. Because I don't think our system could handle a full exposure to full glory. Uh, we, we are seeing Jesus through a veil. Even when John saw him with all of those glorious uh, descriptions, John was seeing him through a veil. John was seeing him uh, under a controlled environment. But when we see him, we will see him as he is. We will see him in all of his glory. And that's what changes us. When we see him, you say, well, I thought we couldn't live when we see God. Exactly. Our old nature that has been pronounced dead and buried and keeps trying to resurrect itself. When we see Jesus, we will behold his glory and we will be utterly like him. I said, Jesus won't fail. Jesus can't sin. And whenever we all get to heaven, we will be unable to sin. We will not be able to sin. We will be unable to sin. That's why you don't have to worry about so-and-so. And he looked at me like, mm, I don't know. I said, but listen to what Paul said. He said, when we go to heaven and he describes these things, Paul said, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That perfected state is never going to end. So I said, I want you to know when we get to heaven, it's impossible for us to sin. We need to start celebrating that. <clears throat> Okay, so what we have learned is that there will be no tears, no trials, no testing, no temptation, no trouble, okay, no trouble. Uh, we, don't, we don't even need explanation of that. No turmoil, things, you know, you, you know there's some people in your life, just when they walk in the room, stuff just gets messed up, you know. I think it was Victor Smith used to talk about, you know, that boy could break a steel ball, you know. <laughs> Isn't that the way he said it? That boy could break a steel ball. I mean, things that, things that apparently are unbreakable can just shatter when some people walk into the room. They just thrive on turmoil. But there won't be any turmoil there. Can I shock you a little bit to say there won't even be any trust in heaven? You say, you mean we're not going to trust Jesus? We won't need to because our faith becomes sight. See, when I say I trust Corey, that, that's, that's saying I know Corey and I know Corey could make a mistake 
you know, Corey may be infallible, but I think, you know, he might could make a mistake, but I trust him. I'm, I'm putting all my eggs in that basket. I trust Corey. He's my friend. But when I get to heaven, I won't say I'm trusting you, Lord. I don't understand anymore, but no, you're going to understand everything. And there will be no need for you to say, I trust you, Jesus, because our faith becomes sight. Our faith becomes sight. Uh, there will be no toil. Now there will be, I believe, uh, assignments in heaven, but it won't be worked by the sweat of our brow. Uh, I know that Jesus said some who go into the kingdom will be made rulers over great, great cities or smaller cities or more cities or lesser cities. And, um, you know, you've been faithful over a few things, but I'll make you ruler over many things. I don't know what any of that means. The Bible says we're going to judge angels. That's, that scares the pea turkey out of me to think that I'm going to have to judge angels. I mean, who am I to judge angels? There's stuff we will do, but it won't be, we won't need ulcer medication because of it. It won't be toil. It'll be a delight. And I took something from a message by RT that I just, I couldn't even just put the word in. I had to put it in the form of an explanation. RT concludes his list of saying won't, won't be in heaven by saying in heaven there will be no tithing. And I thought, no tithing. RT, I know he believes in tithing. And then he said, uh, there, there will be no tithing in heaven. He said, that's not going to be a big change for some folks because with some, there's no tithing on earth either. <laughs> But I, I was thinking, I was thinking RT was going to go into some deep Levitical, you know, dispensation about tithing. And what he was trying to say was this. He says, tithing, he, he said, I picked tithing because it's a T. He said, but what I'm trying to say is that there will be no more opportunities for service and stewardship in the earthly sense. You know, like tithing, like witnessing, like teaching or whatever. He said, he said, there's no, there's not going to be any opportunity as far as we can tell from scripture for us to serve in that capacity, the way we can serve now. So he said, I want folks to know what you're going to do for the Lord. Do it now, do it now, do it now, because it won't be a time for service there. Uh, I, I, I like what R.T. said. He said, heaven is not going to be a place for you to make God happy. He said, heaven is a place for God to make you happy. So there'll be no tithing. So do it now. Do it now. Our stewardship will be rewarded in heaven. And there will be some sense of service there, but it'll be based somehow on our stewardship here. So let's, let's hurry because we need to spend a, a little bit of time at least talking about things that will be in heaven. And I've just got four listed, even though they're less than half of the things that won't be in heaven, the things that are in heaven are so huge. And when I, by using the word full, that in and of itself means we cannot describe it. We cannot understand it. The little bit we know about these four things is what God reveals to us by His Spirit through the Scripture. And I've told you before, it's like saying, oh, I can see the world when I look out the peephole in my front door. You see a little bit of the world, 
You don't even see your neighborhood, and what you do see is distorted. Even the Word of God, because it's such a full subject, and unless the Holy Spirit gives us a truth, even the things that we know are in heaven will be distorted to us unless the Spirit clarifies it. The first thing that will be in heaven is the full glory of Jesus. This is what I was talking about earlier. We shall see Him just as He is. You've heard me say that I, I think we will be su surprised when we see Him. I think it will amaze us that we loved Him so little. That we loved Him so little. And I don't mean that as a condemnation. I don't think everybody in heaven says, oh, I'm just a loser. I'm, I'm a failure. I've broken his heart all over again. I don't even deserve to be here. Let's settle this now. None of us deserve to be there. None of us have lived the life that we ought to live. We strive for it. No, I'm just saying that when we see Jesus, when we see Jesus, we will be exposed to the fullness of His glory and we'll say, why were those things I struggled with ever a problem? I had a friend, I asked him if I could use his name. He said, I'd rather you not. And I can understand. He felt like God was calling him to celibacy. He, we were in Bible college and he said, I feel like God just wants me to be single the rest of my life. And uh, I said, well, I, God does call people to be celibate but, uh, and, and serve him single. I said, I, I said, I just, we know each other. Are, are you, gonna, you sure you're happy with that? Paul said in his writing to the Corinthians chapter 7, I said, Paul said, uh, there are advantages to being single. You only have to look out for one person. You don't have to factor in your wife and your children when you make decisions that, that could put them in danger. He said, it's, it's easier if you're like me and you live alone. He says, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his wife, every wife have her, as her husband. Because he was saying the normal state of humanity is to be husband and wife, man and woman together. Um, but he said, unless God makes that exception, that's that's not, he doesn't require that of you. Um, you know, you take a spiritual gifts test and 15 is your gift. If you get a 0.5 on celibacy, don't, don't, don't pursue that. You know, don't go that way. But uh, he said, well, I just feel like God's speaking it to my heart. And I said, well, you know, whatever you think, buddy, I'll be praying with you. And he was dating this girl that was so sweet, just so sweet. Um, it's just everybody loved her. You know, she was such a sweetheart. And uh, they had dated above reproach. In those days, you couldn't even hold hands on campus. Um, and they were just absolutely above reproach. And he took her out. He said, pray for me. I'm going to tell so-and-so that we're going to have to end this. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, I, I, I didn't even have a girlfriend at the time. Um, so I knew I was no expert, but they just seemed to just go together so well. And uh, he said, I'm going to tell her tonight. I said, I'll be praying for you. And I really did. I went to the chapel and prayed. And uh, he came back and I said, well, how'd it go? And he said, I want you to be the first to know I'm engaged. <laughs> 
I said, really? He said, we're going to get married during Christmas vacation, Christmas break. If we can get permission, you had to get permission to marry during the school year. I said, what happened? He said, God's telling you one thing. Did God change his mind? He said, no, but I sure changed mine. <laughs> and I said, what? He said, I told her my reasons. I don't, I don't want to drag you because he was going to have a career in missions in dangerous places. He said, I don't want to drag you through that. If we have children, I don't want them to be in danger. And he gave her all the reasons. He said, I just love you too much to do that to you. And I said, what did she say? She said, well, if this is the Lord, she said, I want you to obey him. I don't think it is. And I know I can't talk you out of this, but I just want to tell you one thing. If you walk away from me, you'll never experience this again the rest of your life. And she reached up. She had never kissed him. She reached up and grabbed him by the, the hog jowls, gave him a kiss that would make Hollywood proud. And she said, just know what you're walking away from. And he said, I looked at her and said, well, let's talk. <laughs> Every time I see him, I said, well, how, how's your kissing life going? And he grins. You, you, know, you know what he was saying? He was saying, I didn't see the glory. I only saw a limited perspective. I saw her as a burden, not as my wife. And that's what I mean when I say when we see him, we shall be amazed that we didn't love him any more than we did. It, it, it won't be condemnation. It, I think it will be, I, in fact, I think it will be healing. I think it will be healing. Okay, full glory, full understanding. You know, I, I used to have a list. I had a literal list of questions I was going to ask Jesus when I get to heaven because I wanted to understand them. Can I tell you, I just threw the list away. I got an answer to a couple of things, but most of them I, I don't have, I didn't get an answer. But I realized when I see him, I will understand I will understand. I will see him and I will understand. In fact, I've, I can't prove this. I said, I want you to know what's in the, the scripture. I can't prove this. But putting two and two together, I'm, I'm coming to the conclusion that the three of the first things we'll say in heaven, I think when we see Jesus, when we realize we're in heaven, there will be some utterance of praise. There, there will be some utterance of praise. I don't know what that will be. It'll probably be fit to our personality. There'll be some utterance of praise and giving glory to God. The second thing that will come out of our mouth is probably, oh, okay. Because we'll understand. I believe the third thing that will come out of our mouth is mom, dad, Granny Kinlow, Aunt Becca, Moses, Elijah, because the last thing, well, I need to say this first. I, well, let me, let me do the last one, then I'll, then I'll finish up with, the, with C. There will be full reunion. 
Um, you, you, people ask me sometimes, do you think we'll know each other in heaven? Well, let me ask you this. Do you think we'll know less in heaven than we know here on earth? And Paul said, we shall know as we are known. And that was a, a way of saying, you know, we'll, we'll know the relationships that we had. Now, it's going to be different. There won't be marrying and giving in marriage in heaven. We know that. Um, that, but that's about all that we know. But we, we believe, based on Hebrews, that those who have gone before us, that are our loved ones and those that we don't even know, make up a great cloud of witnesses that are watching and cheering us on, cheering us on, cheering us on. You say, well, what about people... What about Bible characters? We don't know what they looked like. We don't know. Well, just go to the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember Jesus was transformed and a, a bit of his glory came out. Not all, because the mountain remained. And the disciples remained. But some of his glory came out and he began to talk with Elijah and Moses and I don't know if you've ever wondered, how did those disciples, those three disciples, how did they know that was Elijah and Moses? Now, I know Jesus could have called them by name, but, and, and, and that's a possibility. But whether that happened or not, I think the point is when we are in the presence of glory, we know what we wouldn't know otherwise. Yeah, I think we'll. I think we'll know each other. I think we'll, uh, and there are questions we can't answer. You know, are, are, will there be babies in heaven? What about all of these aborted babies? Will they be babies in heaven? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, <clears throat> somebody says, will there, be our, will there be animals in heaven? Well, we'll know there'll be some animals. Will they be the ones we have now? Well, I got a couple that I think deserve to go to heaven, but I, you know, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know. There are answers that are questions that we cannot answer, but we know this, we will know as we are known and there will be full reunion. This is not the end. There will be full reunion. And then letter C, which I should have put last is full restoration righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Heaven is going to do basically two things. It is going to, to do away with sin and establish righteousness in all of us. There are only two things. Again, I can't remember if I said this in this service or first service. There are only two things that can deal with sin in all of scripture, blood and fire that was the sacrificial system. It consisted of blood and fire. The only way, and it was symbolic in the Old Testament, blood and fire. Nothing without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Blood and fire. And that's why heaven and hell represent blood and fire. We can be forgiven and our sin dealt with by the blood of Jesus or by the fire of damnation, but it's not going to be overlooked. And it's not going to be um, a party for all. <sighs> Let me give you some closing thoughts about heaven. Number one, every one of us can go there. I, I want you to know every single stinking one of us can go there. I'm stinking, you're not. 
every one of us can go there. Whosoever will may come. He that comes to me, I will never cast away. And in our church, we're not disrespectful to other churches or other theologies, but we don't believe that people are predestined to heaven or predestined to be damned. We believe that people who accept Jesus are predestined for heaven. We believe that it's a predestination based on the foreknowledge of God. What I'm trying to say is I've had people say, well, I, I would like to go to heaven, but, but I just don't think I'm one of the chosen. Loved ones, that's just an excuse. It's just, it's just something that you have dug up somewhere to try to find an excuse to continue on in your sin whosoever will may come. Let the vile continue to be vile. Let the just continue to be just. Make up your mind. Every one of us has to answer this question. What will I do with Jesus? It's appointed unto man once to die. What shall I do with Jesus? Corey, your presentation at the end of the service. Listen, besides all the wonderful entertainment and worship, you need to come to, if you're doing the same thing tonight, you need to come to just let Corey explain the revelation of the Holy Spirit helping us see how we know, how we know that we need Jesus. Fantastic. Fantastic. And uh, now I've really put you under pressure, but... Uh, <laughs> loved ones, we... We, we need to understand, oh, I don't want to go down a, let me just say this. Every one of us can go to heaven. Number two, not everyone who talks about heaven will go there because there's only one way. See, don't, don't let the devil put turmoil in your heart. Well, Jesus said there'll be some that did all kinds of good work and good deeds. And he said, but what is going to happen is they'll get there and Jesus say, depart from me. And they'll say, but we did all of these things in your name. And Jesus said, I never knew you. And don't let the devil give you a theology that says close, but no cigar. Don't let the devil give you a theology that says you can serve the Lord and operate in the ministry and do your best to build the kingdom, but it's just not good enough. Depart from me. I never knew you. Don't believe that because when Jesus is talking about that, oh, and another variant of that is we know that the word no is often a word for sexual intimacy. A husband knew his wife, Adam knew Eve, and she conceived. And in other words, and then they say, well, what that means was, depart from me, I never knew you, is you never had a good devotional life. You never became intimate with me, so depart from me. Loved ones, nobody in here, the best devotional lives in here are not enough to get you to heaven. Not enough to get us anywhere near the door. He's not saying depart from me because you didn't pray enough. He's not saying close but no cigar. He's saying there will be people that will invoke my name. There will be people that do good works. Some of their works will be supernatural, but they will do it trying to get in every other way except the one way. You can do things in Jesus' name without knowing Jesus. You can, and I think every pastor that perverts the word of God, I think every church 
that perverts the word of God in an attempt to be uh, uh, kind and to be tolerant. I think we need to understand those are the people, in my opinion, that run the risk of Jesus saying, you did good works, but you never knew me. You told people there were a dozen ways to get to heaven, a dozen paths to get to heaven. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father unless he comes through me. I am the way, the truth, the life. There's a move right now to put us all in jail for using hate language like that. Jesus only. But I want to tell you, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no way. Let me say it another way. There is no way to get to the Father except through me. So not everybody who talks about going to heaven will go there. But there is a way, and it's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You remember Indiana Jones and uh, when he was trying to find the cup of Christ and one of the codes was, only the penitent man shall pass. And Indy figured out that you had to fall down to escape this thing that was coming to cut you. Only the penitent man will pass. I don't think they had it exactly right theologically. But they had the principle right. We go to heaven on our knees. We go to heaven bringing our sin to Jesus. You remember that old song we used to sing, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Loved ones, this is what I want to be the effect of today. Number one, if you don't know Jesus, I want you to come to Him. If you're listening online and you're not sure you're saved, I want you to know the Bible makes a promise. If you will admit that you are a sinner, believe that Jesus died on the cross in your place and confess Him as Lord, you will have eternal life. 